Hello, everyone, and welcome to Ankura's A Day in the Life of Podcast with me, Lewis Pedley. And today I'm delighted to be speaking with Helena Boyer and Adam Horseman, who together make up part of our crypto asset tracing team at Ankura. Now, I am particularly excited to hear all about the wild and mysterious world of crypto asset tracing. But first, I'd like to ask you both to introduce yourself. So, Helena, can you go first? Yeah, of course. Thank you for hosting us today. So I'm Helena Boya. I'm a director in the asset tracing and complex investigations team at Ankura. I've been here now for just over two years. In terms of the work that we do in our practice more generally, I think that asset tracing falls under the wider term of litigation support. So what that means is that we are part of a sort of wider group of consultants and lawyers who support clients throughout commercial litigation and arbitration. So we work throughout the dispute cycle. So whether a client, be that an individual, a company or a sovereign state, is deciding whether to bring a claim against a respondent. So we assess the the sort of merits of that case alongside lawyers and the actual potential for enforcement and, and recovery, whether that's during proceedings when we're required to actually locate people because people go missing during proceedings, whether we're required to find additional evidence or prove that somebody is actually a resident in a country or finally post award. So when a client has an award that they're looking to enforce, they might come to us to say, what does this individual, this company or state own that we could actually enforce against? So the sort of the crypto, I suppose the way that we view it is just a different type of asset class because we're interested in property, companies and, you know, ever increasingly digital assets as as an asset class that we would also be looking into. And whenever those opportunities arise, that's when we turn to people like Adam. And thanks for that, Helena. And you know, Adam? Yeah. Hi, I'm Adam Horsman. I'm a senior associate at Ankura. I work as uh, an incident responder on the cybersecurity team dealing with network breaches, uh, ransomware attacks, uh, network intrusions and email compromises. And probably more of my work nowadays is brought up with the cryptocurrency side of the business. So investigations and asset tracing and recovery. Prior to working for Ankura, I did just over 16 years working in law enforcement as a police officer, with the latter part dealing with cyber crimes, investigations and cryptocurrency investigations, along with digital forensics. So I'm able to bring a depth of skills from my policing background into where we are now with crypto. And, and it falls very nice hand in glove with the asset tracing work that we get pulled in to assist with. Thank you both. It's great to have the uh, the brains and the brawn of Ankara here today to discuss this. I'll let you decide which one is which one is which. <laughs> Time to sort of you know delve into it. I, I just wonder if you could maybe talk about a job that you two have recently worked on together. You know how it came about, how you two worked together, and what we managed to recover for the client. Yeah, so we've we've actually got a really good job that we worked on together. We had a hundred million pound Ponzi scheme for a hedge fund that collapsed as a result of this where certain employees within the firm started to use the the large amounts of funds that they were coming across on a daily basis and start to carry out this Ponzi scheme. And this was cross-jurisdictional. It was huge in the scope and scale of it. I mean, 100 million. And when you're sat there dealing with the receiver and they say that there's nothing left, there's just there's dust. <laughs> I haven't got anything to give you. It's taken a lot of work to get to where we are. And this was a fantastic job for us both to be involved in. 
it's still ongoing now. Uh, we've, I guess we would recover probably about a third of the assets that available and about 5 million or so of that is, is in cryptocurrency. The rest is in various other sort of off-chain assets or have been purchased with crypto. But it's been a job where we've had to have a ping pong relationship and work to and from back and forth with each other we will come across certain things but then we need to try and attribute where that's gone to and we need the skills that helena brings to to actually try and find these people and to try and locate where's this company who's this involvement with them but it's it it's been a very very big job involving ankura's forensic accountancy side of the things big data analytics work digital forensics work on the devices we've done a lot of tracing and analysis uh, of the investigation and of the payments made over the counter from when it was in fiat currency moving it over the counter to buy uh, cryptocurrencies and then moving through various DeFi protocols and the um, liquidity and staking that they've used to, to create more and more money and it's a fascinating job it's definitely not one sadly we can cover very quickly but helena please talk about how you've helped us with this well i think you know adam like you said it there is very much a ping pong nature to this and our role within this case i think there's a little bit of confusion around the way that crypto asset tracing works in the sense that there are companies that do what that i do and they claim to be able to trace crypto but actually that's that's not the case it has to be specialists like adam with the right access to the tools and where we actually come into it is doing the exact same work that we do on other cases because the same methodology and the same principles apply so i mean there's a few examples of things we've actually done on this case which i think are quite illustrative of that because they're principles that and pieces of work and tasks that we conduct on all cases, crypto or not. And essentially, you know, that some of the things that we've done here have been individuals who have divested from the fund, ostensibly, but still very clearly have an interest in that, in the fund. Um, and with that's something we've been able to prove through domain analysis. And I can talk a little bit more about that when we discuss some of our tools and methodology in greater detail. And like Adam said, locating people, that's something that comes up in almost every case we do. And some of the subjects in this case needed to be found because funnily enough, when you commit huge fraud, you might just go on the run. And, you know, companies who have actually profited from this scheme, whether that's been innocently or very much complicit in the fraud itself, actually tracing the proceeds in a more conventional sense. So like Adam said, when that cryptocurrency is off-ramped into fiat, where is that money spent? Where has it been invested, etc.? So all of those things are things we would do on a, a case that might be an investor state arbitration or something. It just happens to be that crypto is the asset class we're looking at. And typically, I would assume that because technology is being used, that it's harder to trace crypto. But actually, how does tracing crypto compare to, to other assets? I think there's, you know, obviously... The fact that they're digital has advantages and disadvantages. It's it's trickier in some senses, but actually there's evidence available that we wouldn't get in a non-digital asset class. And, you know, that's something you can probably discuss in more detail. But I think it's something that, you know, as we're seeing every case when it's more traditional asset trades, we're looking at sort of tangible assets like property or boats, yachts, for instance. Actually, there is a much more 
a sort of growing demand really because more and more people are investing in this space and it's something that's only continuing to grow so it's it's a challenge but I think it brings a lot of opportunity and it's certainly you know I've been doing this before it felt that crypto was more of a significant asset that people were owning um, mm -hmm. and it's been kind of surprising and refreshing to see not how easy it is it's not easy by any stretch of the imagination but it's a lot more possible than i would have initially assumed i think the big benefit with with cryptocurrency uh, as a uh, an asset tracing task is that it's all there it's on the blockchain it's distributed it's immutable the fact that a transaction has taken place um, the trick and the skill is managing to sort out the wheat from the chaff if, it, if that's the right phrase to focus on where you need to go avoid the, the red herrings and to be able to realize certain things that take you to where the money ends up rather than where it's it's moved about and mixed but i, mean, I think that with this big ponzi scheme job to give it a, a little bit of a caveat it was a very and is a very rare beast where we have had a lot of stars aligned so we've had whistleblowers we've had investors who've been willing to support and assist the investigation uh, and as a result of that it does make things a lot easier but equally having everything in-house within Ankura makes us a very powerful tracing company as such in that respect because we can draw on various different skill sets from within the consulting firm as a whole. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I guess then sort of delving down into that next level of detail then in terms of how the teams interact and how they work together. Can you maybe talk me through some of the, you know, the tools and tech that we use to perform this type of analysis and tracing? Yeah, so from the, the crypto tracing side, there, for those who do follow crypto quite closely, and there are a number of market leading tools, each do their own specialism or that they, they'll all do similar things some will be more for a regulatory purpose others for more of an investigative purpose certain tools will allow us to follow money through mixers uh, and tumblers which are basically obfuscation tools that people will use to try and hide and challenge where the money's come from and gone to sometimes that's privacy and it's a, a very legitimate means and reason for having it other times it's it's purely used to try and obfuscate the purpose of why they're doing it and where the money's gone some of those tools are extremely good others perhaps specialize in a slightly different area so aren't so useful so we've had to draw on a number of different tools and weigh them up on their merits to, uh, to then decide which one is going to be better for this particular thing we've had to create some proprietary tools as well using some of the in-house skills we've got with some of our data analytics team we're creating codes and scripts because some of the data sets are absolutely massive with this as you can imagine mm -hmm. and, and helen i guess you know sort of same question in terms of the the tools that you and your team are using both on on, on this type of uh, asset tracing engagement and others absolutely i think you know as is always the case with with our type of work we've had to be quite creative and the methodology and the tools that we've applied here are exactly the same as we would on a more traditional asset trace. So as an example, um, we were asked to sort of locate a subject for service who had sort of fled the US. And the way that we looked to, to find that person 
was through a sort of combination of different ways, but actually the way we ultimately found them was a more creative approach, I suppose. So obviously looking for things like, you know, their social media, any media reporting, any addresses provided in company filings, any properties owned by them, etc. And through that initial exercise, we, we found a couple of addresses that sort of potential locations for this individual um, and some sort of media articles of this individual's wife having broadcasted their beautiful home to an interior design magazine which is always very beneficial for us but eventually the way that we found them was just through looking at the the running app Strava and we could see that they were doing a loop a nice little 10k every morning starting at one point finishing at one point and that point was one of our addresses and that that was that that was how we ultimately found them so it's it's a process of refinement you know you start with a lot of data and you you sort of take different steps to refine that until you get your answer some of the other tasks that we've carried out on you know in support of this work i touched upon earlier looking at a website of one of the investment vehicles used in in this fund um, an individual who claimed they'd fully divested actually using domain analytics tools we could see that they remained the registrant of the website and one of the key administrative contacts so although that's not definitive it's quite a, a clear indicator yeah. that they're still very much involved but i think something that we found very beneficial in our work on this case in particular has been the level of disclosure. So, you know, a huge amount of information has actually been available to us from the very beginning. So messages and emails, all communications between key participants, when clients have invested their onboarding documents, all records of transactions that have taken place. And actually, from our point of view, that's a very useful starting point, especially when it comes to asset tracing, things like addresses, residential addresses for individuals who have invested, allowing us to find them, to see whether they own property, et cetera, et cetera. So we've we've pulled on a, a wide range of sources in this. Sounds like you're a real life online sleuth, which sounds which sounds very, very interesting. So <laughs> that's been great. And I'm just thinking about you know, how we can potentially sort of you know round this off. And I think it'd be useful to talk through some and the sort of common stumbling blocks that you guys obviously you go through in crypto tracing and, and how we potentially you know assess the trade-off between the value of an asset that we may be tracing and obviously the cost of retrieving it? I think it's a, it's a really good question and it's one that we come across quite often and particularly when it comes to, say, so a prime example of this would be something like NFTs, which are non-fungible tokens. So they have a, a non-like-for-like value. They'll always be... A unique item now yeah sometimes you might see in the news there, there might be millions of dollars worth of value but actually um, quite often people are victims of phishing hacks and then as a result they lose their digital asset it gets moved around realized for different cryptocurrency value someone else will buy it but the value of the asset itself is not worth a lot it might be a few thousand dollars maybe mm-hmm. $10,000. Um, and there, there is that trade-off of how much work do you do initially to try and identify what's the likelihood of success here compared to the value of, of what this asset class is worth. Now, we've had one for a client where they lost three NFTs. We were asked to do some initial tracing to see the value of it and where it had gone. We had some Twitter handles to use as well, which was really helpful. 
and using both of our skill sets, we were able to identify potentially a very good likelihood of who this person was. But the cost of actually, if you if you put okay. it down to, to 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 numbers, the actual the cost of doing the asset tracing work prior to actually having to go through any legal process and trying to get recovery would negate the value of going through with it. Yeah. We, we get an issue as well, I think, with some of the jobs we have. We have hosted crypto wallets, which are great because you can go to exchanges and you can make the relevant requests and authorities with the right evidence uh, and they will assist you. If you come across unhosted wallets, these are wallets that aren't looked after by an exchange, then you're in quite a difficult position. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it also brings up this other question of attribution. So not only how do you attribute it to a particular individual, but how do you put it at the, their fingertips at the keyboard or the device that makes the transfer at the point of the transfer? So you can have a wallet that might have multiple people who have access to it, maybe a corporate wallet, and then they might make a transfer. And then a few minutes later, there might be other transfers. And we, we, we currently work on various different cases. We've been asked to work on one where someone has done a similar thing. And there's already been a ruling made based on the evidence that they had at the time where the, the ruling has been, well, you, you made the first payment, so you, surely you made the second payment. It's a, it's a reasonable expectation. But actually, there's not enough work been done, it would appear, on who else had access to it. And can we show that that maybe it might have been someone else who's made that payment? So there, there's there's stumbling blocks, but there's always solutions to work all, around these things. And I think that's where Ankura have a real strength of experience and abilities to look at things from different angles and come up with solutions to our clients' problems. Well, that's it. Thank you to Helena and Adam. I massively appreciate you finding time to speak to me today, and I found it thrilling as I thought it would. Uh, And that's it for this episode of Anchor as a Day in the Life of. So thank you to everyone for listening, and we'll be back next month.